This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Good morning, church. Listen to you guys. Nice. Two things. First thing, I really want you guys to come hang out with us for our fifth anniversary. We've got this thing for the kids. It's like a 90-foot-long obstacle course, inflatable obstacle course. And I'm going to say to you right now that, as far as I know, there's not an age limit. So... Challenge accepted. I don't know. We'll see. Um, Also with that, we're going to have tons of hot dogs, hamburgers. We're going to have a nacho bar. It's going to be great. So come out, hang out with us, have fun, watch the Eagles win the Super Bowl, and it's going to be a good time. (laughs) I just told you, the Eagles. (laughs) All right, so the second thing is, as Grace mentioned, we have our prayer group every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock before the service at 9 o'clock. I I just wanted to make a plug in and put this out there. This is a blessed group of people that get together and pray for you guys. And I just want to encourage you, if you don't really know quite where you fit in the body of Christ right now, I, 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 would, I would submit to you that a great place to start is in, is, is in the prayer group, on the prayer team. And you can be praying for others. You can be focusing on um, what other people's needs are. And you know what? It really helps when you're praying for other people's and the things that they're going through and the storm that they're in. It really gives you perspective about what you're going through. And it's like, oh, wow. So, yeah, um, I'm a worm and not a man, as Job said. But anyway, um, be encouraged, be blessed. Come hang out with with the prayer group and pray with them Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock. We're continuing our series this morning, Journey is Greater Than the Destination. Uh, The first message was smooth sailing. The second was worst case scenario. And today's is uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Have you ever feel like you've been in a difficult season and you finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. I will tell you that a couple few months ago or so was my first time to Israel and it was unbelievable. It was incredible. In fact, I should have had this on the announcements, on the regular announcements, but we're actually already solidifying our dates to go back to Israel this year, 2019. So, In September, probably like the 7th through the 20th of September, we're going back to Israel again. It changed my life, especially somebody who was in the Word of God, teaching God's Word regularly. But but for you too, I I believe that it will change your life. Uh, If you're interested, tell the people at the information station. We'll do an impromptu sign-up sheet because that's how we roll that's how I roll, and, and you guys can get, get on the list for next year. It's going to be an incredible time. We have limited space, and I can't wait. I can't wait to go back. It's going to be really good. But the whole reason I brought that up is because I went through Hezekiah's tunnel. Hezekiah's tunnel is this, is this chiseled out passageway through solid rock that you walk through with a stream running about you know, six to 10 inches just above your ankles, total pitch darkness, but you have, we have cell phones, so, and flashlights, so we shine lights, and you walk through this thing, and I thought, yeah, Hezekiah's tunnel, that's going to be sweet, and, and I'm going to go walk through it, and it's going to be a piece of cake, no big deal, because I'm a man, and men are strong, and they don't get scared in tunnels that are dark, right? That's how it is. But then about halfway through this tunnel, I was like, this is a really long tunnel. And uh, if there was an earthquake right now, just by chance, I would die and I'm not comfortable anymore. So it was way longer than I thought it was going to be. But as I was getting, I can confess, I'm being honest with you guys, okay? As I was getting toward the end, there was that glorious soft glow that was the 
It was the light at the end of the tunnel. And Paul, on his journey to Rome, it's been very tumultuous. It's been very difficult. He's starting to see, he's, he's getting to the end, the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel. But as far as he sees the light, he, he knows that he's getting to the end. He still has a few bumps in the road that are going to... Um, jostle him a little bit, we're going to see this morning, that have application for our lives today. If you're taking notes in the seat backs in front of you, or if you're in the front row, good on you. They're in the behind your backs. You can ask your neighbor for one. Is the calendars, which on the reverse side of the calendars is a space where you can take notes if you want to follow along. Today we're looking at four reasons why your journey is more important than the destination. You remember the first week we did seven and then the second week we did seven, you guys, are, you guys are like, dude, seriously, like, give us less reason. So I only did four today. The text is a little bit smaller. I heard your cry. And we're going to look at these four reasons the journey is more important than your de- destination. Number one, uh, they escaped. Number two, the viper. Number three, healing. Number four, brethren. And as we go through the text, we're going to highlight those four. And I have verses that are connected to those that I'm going to share with you. But before we get started, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning and that we get to gather here together in your name. This isn't about us. This isn't about our kingdom. It's not about what we have going for us. This is about us submitting to you in the process and being thankful, oh so thankful, Father. Oh so thankful that you would include us in the process. You don't need us. You're probably better off without us but you chose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise so that you can make your glory known so that you through your power in our lives can evidence to those around us that you are real, that you are good and that you are with us and working in the process. That is comforting and we're so, so grateful to be able to confess that to you this morning. Father, we pray and thank you for that time of the worship with the fruit of our lips offering you the words that come from our heart, not just in song, but in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Father, for the studying of your word, for it is alive, living and active, and sharper than any double-edged sword. And we thank you, Father, for our opportunity to give to you, to give back in our tithes and offerings. We pray that it would be as an act of worship. It wouldn't be just something that we're going through the motions in, but that we would worship you through that, God, and that you would be magnified and blessed in in our assembly. We love you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If anybody needs a Bible, they're all out. So, good for you for picking up a Bible. We're going to order some more this week. Turn to Acts chapter 28, which is where we are this morning. We're dissecting uh, Acts chapter 28 into two different parts. The first part this week, the last part next week. In conclusion of our series, The Journeys Greater Than the Destination. And we see last week we looked at, in closing, three responses from the people in the journey. Do you guys remember the three different people that responded in the storm? Does anybody say, who was the first one? Come on, you guys remember. The sailors, close enough, Chris, I appreciate that. The sailors, there's a bold man. Who was the second? Soldiers. Soldiers. So first you had the sailors, then you had the soldiers. Who was the third response? The centurion, good job. And we have these three responses to what is happening in people's lives. And the first response we saw in Acts chapter 27, verse 30, verse 30, and as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow. What were they looking to do? They were looking to 
escape. They wanted to get away from the situation. The storm was still uh, going on around them. And they were like, we're going to get out of this scenario. We don't care what Paul said. Paul says we're going to be okay if we all stay on the ship. But we're sailors. This is what we do for a living. And we know that, that it's, it's still somewhat hopeless. And we're not going to be submitted in this situation with the threat of our lives at stake. So what were they looking at doing? They were looking at self-preservation. Usually it's selfish intentions. When you say, I'm going to do something for my benefit that's to the detriment of others. Who was it to the detriment of? Everybody else on the ship. They were the sailors. They were the ones that were steering the ship who knew what was going on. And they're like, we're out. And Paul says, unless everybody stays on the ship, there, there can be no full wholeness of life. Everybody is, is, is gonna stay intact as long as everybody stays. And who did the response come from when he said that? The soldiers. They said, wait, what? Yeah, this is the guy who knows what's going on. Then he said everybody needs to stay on the ship. So what did, what did they do? They cut the ropes of the skiff and they let it fall into the sea. And they said, you guys are staying on the ship because Paul said it's the best case scenario. And this guy's different. He's from God, right? Remember, that's what happened. And then the second scenario we come on, not too few verses later is who is the next people to respond in an act of self-preservation? The soldiers. They, having shipwrecked and coming to land, draw their swords and say, we're going to slay all of the prisoners because they knew as soldiers that whatever they lost as far as prisoners go, whether they ran away or, or what have you, who, whoever escaped, their lives were going to be held as an account. So they said, in order for us to preserve our lives, in order for us to come out on top, we're going to take action in a way that is selfish and going to cause a loss of life to somebody else. But then we had the third person. You guys remember who the third person was? The centurion who had been watching Paul, who had been listening to Paul. And I believe at that point, there was a manifestation, a showing of faith in his life. And he says, no, you're not going to kill anybody. You're not going to do this. And he saved Paul and the other prisoners, and they all made landfall. Verse 42, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. And then verse 43, but the centurion wanted to save Paul, kept them from their purpose, and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard and get to land. The sailors and the soldiers were trying to get out of the situation that they were in. But Paul and Luke knew better. They were confident in God and let the storm run its course. And what happens next is directly connected to that faith that they demonstrated in that God was involved in the process and that they had faith in that. Have you ever been in a really difficult season before where you just wanted to jump ship? You just wanted to give up? You wanted to give in? I've been there. I'm sure you have too. And God, for Paul, on his life, he was calling him to a place of patience through the storm so that he could take him to a place that he wanted to use him. Now, we're going to get there a little bit more clearly, but remember that the process that God was taking Paul through was necessary not just for his own will and purposes for Paul, but for the will and purposes of other people, namely the people that he was going to come in contact with, who we're going to see in chapter 28. So chapter 28, verse 1 says, Now when they had escaped, they found out that the island was called Malta. Two things to take note here. Number one, they did escape. Remember, what were the sailors and, and the soldiers trying to do? The sailors particularly, it said that they were specifically trying to escape. They're trying to get out of it. They were literally trying to jump ship. But by standing firm in the word of God, the centurion confirming what Paul had said, now they are going to have an avenue of escape. And if they had just trusted Paul's word 
God's word in the beginning, they, they wouldn't have even had to go through some of the more difficult things that they had to go through in, in the pushback of what they were trying to do. This brought to remembrance a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, which is probably one of the most controversial, misquoted verses of the New Testament, which I love controversy. You know me? I like it. Let's talk about it. Let's read it, all right? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. You're not going through anything else than anybody else hasn't gone through. So stop acting like your problems are, are more important than mine. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Period, right? Period. This is where the misquote comes in. There's no period after that verse. What's there grammatically? A comma, beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. People will say, God will not give you more than you can handle. I hate to be the person this morning who reigns on your parade. But the actual biblical truth is God is all about giving you more than you can handle. He's all about it. And I think it's kind of cool because he's like, I'm going to pressure you. I'm going to push you to the place where there's no way out of a situation unless, unless you recognize what I'm doing and I'm providing a means of escape. So, does God give you more than you can handle? Yes, but based on 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says that he's also faithful. Say faithful, church. He's faithful not only to give you more than you can handle, but to make sure that you have a way of escape. I don't want to put myself in Joseph's shoes at the top of the food chain, almost at the tippy top of the food chain of Egypt, Potiphar's wife throwing herself on him and him just shrugging his shoulders and saying, oh man, there's nothing I could do. She practically raped me, you know, like I, she threw herself on me. No, he says he's not going to sub subject himself to what Potiphar's wife was saying to him and trying to do to him. And, and he left so quickly, he escaped. There was a way, there was an open door that he left his tunic in her hand. There is a way out. God does bring a way of escape. The important thing for us is that we recognize what that way of escape is. Do not ever be deceived into thinking the situation that you find yourself in, you're stuck in and there's no way out of because God is always faithful to make a way out for you. And maybe it may take a little bit of waiting because they tried to escape before, but it wasn't until God opened the door for them to escape and, and he was the provider of that means of escape. It wasn't them trying to do it in and of themselves. So yes, this storm's going to be difficult. There's going to be temptation. There's going to be temptation to jump ship, to make things happen on your own, to not wait, to not trust in God's word. There's going to be temptation to take things into your own hands. But as you wait, when the pressure is on and it gets to be the worst that it can be, God is always going to be faithful to open a means of escape for you so that you're not subjected to that temptation and difficulty for an extended period of time. There's no way God wants to force you into a situation where you have no means of escape. He is faithful. They escaped and found out that the island was called Malta. Interesting, interestingly enough, the word Malta in Greek is refuge. And this is exactly what this was. This island saw many people who, 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 who sought it out and, and found it as a refuge. Because we have the beginning point and because we have the ending point, we can see that the time frame that they were at sea, anybody remember how long they were at sea for? Come on. A fortnight. They were, they were in the storm for a fortnight Nudge, nudge, elbow, elbow, ha, ha. A little bit over a fortnight, and then they were shipwrecked, and God meets them there. 
here on Malta. And because we have the beginning and the end point, we know that from the beginning to where they were to the end, about a fortnight, was 475 miles that they were beaten, driven back and forth in the tempest, in the tumultuous sea. And the natives showed unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. Now, this is notable for a couple reasons. First of all, um, it, it was unusual kindness, right? So they went above and beyond what you would show to, to people who were shipwrecked at that time. They, they were considerate. They understood that they were in a difficult position. Not to mention that it was cold and it was rainy, but a, a good portion of this ship, we don't know however many there were, but a good portion of this, this, this ship was prisoners. They were convicts. And, you know, nobody's nice to a convict. You got that, you got that thing on your resume, oh, oh, you spent some time in the slammer. I think you should probably go look somewhere else. But they knew, they had to know that part of these, the ship's people were convicts and they still showed them kindness. This is coming from Paul and Luke. Um, and, and I would say that even through the storm and in the difficulty, God meets us and, and takes care of us in, in the most difficult times through the most unlikely people. Like we wouldn't say like, that, that this person would be kind and reach out and care for us. But we see God's provision as they welcomed them and showed them kindness. And things are starting to look a little brighter, right? They made landfall. They're no longer on a ship in a storm. Things are getting better. Are they starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, probably for sure, till you read the next verse. So let's go ahead and do that. But, that's a big but. I like big buts. Cannot lie. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Light at the end of the what? Seriously, God, like I just went through this whole thing in the storm on the sea and I'm shipwrecked and I'm being a good witness for you. Why are you doing this to me? And maybe you, I don't know, but for me, I've said this before. I'm like, why? <laughs> it's not funny anymore. Like, I thought I saw light. What are you doing to me? But the viper is very indicative of our journey and how the enemy wants to come across and attack us. When we think things should be going better, the enemy comes in and just whacks us. And it's a good thing to remember that the enemy has zero power whatsoever in your life. And we'll see that with Paul as well. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he had escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. See, Taylor Swift was onto something. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. People easily swayed, I guess. But they knew what kind of snake it was. Many times in the scriptures when we talk about snakes, the, the, the word is used for serpent. But this is specifically talks about a viper because vipers are venomous. And the, the bite of this viper would cause you to perish. So they say, oh, look at this guy. He must be an uber criminal, an ultra criminal. And, and even though he was delivered from the sea, justice has saw that, that he's going to not survive any longer. And this viper, and he goes, and you don't even hear Paul say a word. Do we even have uh, any record of Paul saying anything? He's just like, man, you stinking enemy, still coming at me, still trying to throw all that you got at me. What the, what the enemy intended for evil, the Lord is going to use for good, and he shakes it off in the fire. There you go. 
And for you, when the enemy comes and he attacks you, what, the, what he intends, the enemy intends for evil, what he intends for death in your life, the Lord is going to use for good. It's not a maybe. It's not a hope so. It's a guaranteed. When you're on the course of life in the journey with the Lord and you come across the viper who fastens itself onto your arm, what the enemy intended for evil, the Lord period, will use it for good. Our verse for this, our our reference for this verse is Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Paul's like, it's a snake. It bit me. We're talking flesh and blood. Who cares? I recognize that my purpose is an eternal purpose and I'm part of the process with God. Therefore, I don't fear that which can harm me physically, but I'm submitted to the one who knows me eternally. And as I'm engaged in this process of life with him, he's going to bring me to the next step. And the same thing is true for you and for me. Don't you dare fear those who can hurt you physically, but cannot touch your soul. Fear God and submit to him. And say, God, whatever may happen in life, it can, it can hurt me. But, but I know that what I'm doing is submitted to you and your purposes. Therefore, I know that it's going to work out for good. And we go back a few chapters. And we see Paul making his way to Jerusalem, 19 and 20 in the book of Acts. And the prophet Agabus comes out and he binds Paul's hands and his feet. And Agabus says, And so the Holy Spirit says, The man who is bound like this, hand and foot, shall be bound and treated like this in Jerusalem. And all of the elders of the church are crying, weeping over Paul. And they're saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. There's going to be persecution. And Paul defiantly says, I'm not only willing to go to Jerusalem, but I'm willing to go to Jerusalem and die for the sake of my brethren. Talk about perspective. I worry about what I'm going to have for lunch tomorrow because my belly is telling me I'm hungry. What about the big picture for me? What about if I adjust where I'm going to eat or what I'm going to eat based on who I need to talk to? It's never going to be anybody in Taco Bell, but it could be somebody somewhere else because that's just nasty. You know, it could happen, though. What the enemy would like to latch on to you with and intend evil towards you, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. I thought about the contrast of venom from a venomous viper and poison. Typically speaking, venom is something that's injected. Poison is something that's ingested or applied topically, most commonly ingested. And the storm beat on Paul and the people from without, from the outside, right? They felt the pain of the storm coming against them physically on the outside. And that did not move him from his purpose to fulfill God's word and to speak God's truth on the boat on the way to Rome, did it? It didn't move him. And now the enemy is trying to go from within. He's trying to latch his teeth in and inject venom on the inside that causes muscle failure and deterioration and the eating of muscle. And sometimes that's how it feels like for us. Outside, 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 outside. And then I'm not prepared for the attack on the inside. I'm not prepared for the attack in my family. I'm not prepared for the attack on my marriage. I'm not prepared for the attack with my children. Because God, I'm taking care of everything that I'm supposed to be taking care of. So you're going to take care of us. And sometimes the enemy does come in like that and tries to get on the inside. And he still, even though he sinks his teeth in deep, he has no authority over your life, however deep he'd like to sink his fangs. Zero authority. And you can pull it off. You can shake it off. And continue on your journey in confidence knowing that what the enemy intended for evil, the Lord intends to bring good through you. So, 
He shook off the creature into the fire, suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that, said that he was good. So key word here, what were they doing? We've talked about this the last two weeks, and I don't want to be repetitive, but it's important to think about this throughout the week. What were the people doing? It says that they were watching Paul. They were looking at him. And the world is looking at us. The world should know. The world should know who you identify as. The world should know that you identify as a Christian. And when the world sees you going through the storm, when the, when the world sees the viper latching onto your arm, they're going to watch you. And what should produce death should actually not produce death, but bring life. And there's a shaking off and a continuing forward on his part. And they look and they saw his life. And at first, this is what the world does also. At first, they give Paul the credit. But he's just, he, he's just begun with them, right? He just got there. He's just starting to be a witness and to testify of who the God of eternity is. Verse 7, in that region... There was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. So this well wishes, this hospitality continues. And one of the top people on the island, Publius, he receives them and he treats them kindly. He's hospital. He entertains them. He feeds them. He cares for them. For three days, and it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, God bless you, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. Our third word, the reason why the journey is more important or greater than the destination for you today, is healed or healing. Paul like Wolverine being shot in the chest, who in my opinion is the greatest superhero. We can agree to disagree, but Wolverine is incredible. And, and as the bullets are entering Wolverine's body, he's regenerating cells and his body is, is, is producing life. So as the fangs went into Paul's arm, God brings immediate healing to his body and not only healing that he is going to experience on an individual level, but a healing that, that Paul is going to be able to give to others as they're on the island. Here's this sick guy says that Paul goes and they lay hands on him and he's healed. This word for healed in the Greek is a special word for healed. It's not just a, the word that's used for miraculous healing. It's a word used for like a medical healing as well. So we know that Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. So this could be biblically the first medical mission that we see was sent out from uh, Jerusalem because that's where they ultimately ended up starting from. And uh, Luke and Paul, wh whatever the case may be, there's healing happening. There's a testimony through their lives and God is using them to heal others while he's in the process of continuing to heal them. How many of you guys need to be healed? Oh man, past tense, present tense, future tense, body, mind, <laughs> everything, the whole enchilada. I can tell you confidently that if, as, as you engage God in the process of the journey, that he's going to continue to bring healing to you. There's going to be things that happen to you. There's going to be people that hurt you and the enemy is going to latch on to you and you're going to need a continuous stream of healing from on high. And God is faithful to continue to heal you. And I would say that one of the main purposes of God healing you is not just so that you can be better, but it's so that you can be in a better place to reach out and touch others and heal them. Because the way that you reach out and touch others and heal them opens up an avenue, a possibility, an option for the gospel to go forth. 
And at this point, we're not even sure if Paul's preaching the gospel. I'm sure to some degree he's saying stuff, but he's just allowing his life to be a testimony and to be an instrument of God along the journey, even though they're not to Rome yet. So as much as you know that you need healing this morning, they know out there even more so that they need it. They know it. Another verse in 1 Corinthians says that you should comfort others with the comfort that you receive from the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people come to me and they're like, I need help with this, Pastor Tim. This is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm struggling with. And I'm like, I want to be there for you. I want to pray for you. I want to meet you there. But this other person, this other person went through the same thing that you're going through and they received healing from God. And I want you to go talk to them. That's what the body looks like. They've experienced the depths of despair in regard to this situation you're going through. Go, listen to them, be healed, be in a healed place, in a better place that you would be able to reach out and touch people around you who so desperately need the hand of God in their life. This is what I would say to you guys. If we're about smooth sailing, if we're about getting to the destination and foregoing the process, the island of Malta was not a stop on their roadmap. And these people would not have experienced and witnessed the mighty hand of God if it wasn't for the storm that God intended to bring that ship through so that they could get there and the power of God could be manifested to those people on that island. And the storm that you go through is necessary to bring you in contact with people that need healing, healing that you would not have experienced or come in contact with unless you had gone through that storm and ended up in that place that you're at. So don't despise the storm. Don't despise the trial. Rejoice in it because now you have a new avenue, new people, different people that as God continues to heal you, you have a, a means and an avenue to reach out, touch them and heal them. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news. For us to say that God is in the business of healing and taking care of people would be would be. Uh, uh, a fallacy. It would be terrible for us to not believe that God has healed us and, and continues to and wants to heal others. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. This is one of my life verses, by the way. Wink, wink. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. There was some kind of discipline involved in the, in the journey, wasn't there? They didn't need for two weeks. There was some kind of discipline involved in trusting what God's word actually said and Paul actually submitting to God's word and believing it. But that discipline brought forth the fruit of righteousness for those who are trained by it and presented him as a whole healthy person that you would be healed and you could demonstrate to others what that looks like. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. God continues to provide for them on the journey. He continues to meet them where they're at. Take care of them on the journey. Verse 11, after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Petuli, not Petuli, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appy Forum and the three inns. 
When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now we really see some light at the end of the tunnel. And as they're getting closer, it was about three years prior or so, some period of time prior, that Paul had penned his mighty epistle to the Romans, the book of Romans to the church, and he had sent it to them. So they had never met. Paul had never been to Rome before, but he wrote them that mighty epistle Romans, and they knew what to expect. They wanted to meet this guy that so encouraged them in their faith. And as they're getting closer, he's starting to meet these pockets of believer, uh, believers. I think that this is really a cool part of the story. And what do they do? They receive him and embrace him. Our fourth word this morning, if you've been following along, is brethren and church. As much as some people would like to be solo flying Christians, I'm fine. I don't need anybody else. There's something to be said for the power of the fellowship of the church of God. John chapter 17, Jesus in speaking about his relationship with the Father, prays for the church to be one with God as he is one, but also prays for their unity and and for them to be together. Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. This is very important. We are given each other to help and support each other. This is a while ago now. None of you know him, so I, I don't mind telling this story as an illustration, but there was a guy who attended our church for a while, and he went into a severe storm. Very difficult life. Very difficult time of his life. And I reached out to him, and I called him, and I texted him, and after a while, he stopped responding. I'd be like, how are you doing, man? I'm praying for you. Can we get together? Can I meet with you? Can I pray over you? And after a while, he just would ignore me and not respond to me. As the Lord might have it, my dad called me one day and said, hey, I'm going over to look at this travel trailer. Do you want to come with me to look at it? Him knowing that I am an expert in all things camper camping, so I obliged. I shall give thee my services. So we went over to see this camper, and who comes out? None other than this guy faced, and he looked like he turned white. He like, you know, when you see somebody, you kind of turn around. Oh, I'm at my house, and there's nowhere to go. Hey, how's it going? I'm like, hey, man, how are you doing? I've been praying for you. I'm sorry about the stuff that you went through. And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm better, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of pulled him aside at the end before we left. And I said, hey, you know what, man? Whatever happened, I'm sorry. And I want you to know that we're always here for you if you need help. And, and, and I know that it's difficult right now, and you're probably still in it. He said, yeah, you know? The biggest thing for me about the church over there is that nobody even really cared about me. Nobody reached out to me. Nobody cared about what I was going through. And when, when, I'm so upset. And I was like, dude, really, bro? Because technology is a kicker. I got my phone here. Let's go ahead and pull you up. And how many times did I call you? How many times did I text you? So if you're in a bad place, I get it. But do not blame the church or me for not responding to you when we were there for you every step of the way. And you know what his response was? This is what he said. You're absolutely right. I I apologize. I'm sorry. That was a cop out. And it was the place that I was in in my life at that time. And I use that as an excuse. And I said, don't take the lies that the enemy tries to put in your head and project them on the church. Because the church is there to bless you, to help you through everything. And these people didn't even know Paul. And they're receiving him. These people didn't even really fully understand what he had just come from. And they'll do whatever they can to help support him in his prison sentence under guard on his way to Rome. This isn't a cruise ship. This isn't a leisurely stroll. I'm going to Rome. How you guys doing? I'll hang out with you for a few days. You can take care of me. Dude's in chains. He says, for the gospel's sake. 
And I'm okay with it because I know that God is working in me through this process and God uses the person next to you to help you and bless you and be with you. So turn to the person next to you and say, thank you. And turn to the person next to you and say, I love you. Now give that person a kiss. Just kidding. Don't kiss anybody. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, this is for our benefit. This is for our blessing. God doesn't intend us to be, be iron, uh, not iron, ivory tower theologians. Well, this is what I think the Bible says, and I'm just going to sit in my house and write blog posts about it and argue with people in the comment section on the internet. There's, there's no edification that comes from that. There's no sharpening. There's no way for somebody to come alongside you and help you and meet you where you're at. We have to be vulnerable sometimes. And Paul's in a place of vulnerability. Psalm 133, verse 1. You guys may have thought of this verse when I was talking about brethren, but this is one of the most famous verses about brothers and sisters in the Lord. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. When we're all rooting for Philadelphia Eagles. (laughs) All right. Spiritually speaking, when we understand that we're all on the same page and we're there to support each other and help each other, we're in the absolute best spiritual place that we can be. Yes, you have an individual connection and it's easy for us to identify that as Americans because we're a very individualistic culture. But we have to understand and realize that God has brought people into our lives to be part of a body that addresses things that maybe would not have been addressed if those people weren't there. So here Paul is on the outside of Rome. It says that the brethren heard about us. There's two brethren there, just like there's two healings. The brethren heard about us, and what did they do? Oh, Paul's coming. That's cool. He's a nice guy. I read that letter that he wrote to us. He sounds pretty solid. What did they do? It says that they went out to meet him. It says that as far as Appy Forum and the three inns, do you know how far away that is in context to where Paul is right now? It's, if at least not more, a day's journey away that they traveled out to see him, knowing full well that they were going to return back again to their home because they were so excited to see their brother Paul, to support him and to help him in this season of difficulty that he was in. They were willing to go to great lengths. And I'll tell you that I think for the most part, if people knew about what you were going through, if people knew the difficulty that you were faced with right now, if you shared with them that you needed help, I think that you'd be surprised at what lengths they'd be willing to go to help you also. And your pride would be hurt a little bit. And you'd be like, I can do this by myself because I'm strong. But God didn't make you to be an individual that goes through everything yourself. He, he made you to be part of a body that ministers and helps each other and blesses each other to bring you through those most difficult times that you go through in your life. We're getting to the end. Next week is the last study in our The Journey is Greater Than the Destination series. And we have these four things in closing to highlight They escaped, even though they tried to escape on their own terms, God made a means of escape in a way for them that was greater than theirs, and they went through the most difficult part of the journey, which was shipwreck. And even in the shipwreck, even in the midst of the most difficult point for them of the storm, God provided a means of escape, and he's faithful to provide for you a means of escape as well. He's going to give you more than you can handle probably, but he's also going to give you a way out. And he wants you to recognize that. Then we have the viper. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He comes to latch on to you, to inject you, and to get you to give up. And you can be confident of this very thing that he has no power or authority over you whatsoever, outside, inside, inside out. He who is greater, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Period. Period. 
healing. God wants to continue this process of healing in your life that you've experienced and that you continue to experience so that you can be healed and you can be in a better place to give out and propagate healing because that's what God's about. Restoration, wholeness, healing, caring. And then lastly, don't despise the assembling of yourselves together. I know some people are difficult. I know some people are hard. You guys are all hard for me, but I still come back all the time. I love you. He's placed you specially in a body, in a place that you can be a help in healing, a support and comfort for those who are around you. Take advantage of that. Be an ear to hear the struggles that somebody's going through. Be a hand that responds when the need is presented and touch somebody so that you can experience what brotherhood, sisterhood really looks like. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word today to us and that you are faithful to remind us of our position in life that we don't want to be deluded into thinking that it's supposed to be smooth sailing on, on the road of life, that it's supposed to be easy, but we know that you are faithful in the process to engage with us and to have your purposes manifest in our lives. So God, we pray that those things would be true for us, that we would recognize the escape that's according to your provision, not according to our provision, We'd recognize the escape. We'd recognize when the enemy comes against us, he tries to get us down, he comes from within, he comes from without. And we declare today, according to your word, that he has no power or authority in our life. And that as everybody else looks on our life and sees the attacks of the enemy, they would too not give glory to us, but give glory to you and would open that door for us to share all the more with them, the God who heals, which is the next one. God, thank you for healing us. Thank you for calling to us, calling us to a ministry of healing. God, thank you for your church. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here this morning. Thank you for the season that we find ourselves in here in this season. Thank you for our upcoming anniversary. We pray in Jesus' name that you would pour out your spirit on us and that we would go out into the world and we would testify of our great God and the power of the gospel at work in our lives. May we not try as we might to forego the island of Malta. May we be willing in submission to you to go where your journey takes us and to continue to reach out to people who need you so desperately. In Jesus' name we pray. Bless your church this week. Amen.